Good morning. My name is Peter. Um, I'm usually at the NDG location. Um, I'm a pastoral apprentice, but I get the uh, privilege to speak to you. And um, I've, I got to speak here once in August, and that was super fun. Um, and I think a couple weeks my wife uh, led worship on, I think, that Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so uh, it's good to be with you today. Uh, you can keep your Bibles open, too. I would just keep that handy. Um, just as we as we look uh, at the Word today, I think it's always good to kind of keep connecting it um, visually and um, just apply it to our hearts. So uh, I, I mentioned Thanksgiving, but today, did you know it's your birthday? Did you know that? Do you know it's Christmas? Well, whatever whatever holiday you get a gift today, you are getting this gift. And it's, it's almost like um, in Ephesians, we are, we've gotten this gift and we're unwrapping it in slow motion. Okay, we've got this like box and we're like, wow, for me. And then we cut the ribbon and we kind of rip off the paper and then we're like opening the box and pulling out the gift and going, what? Wow! Um, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians and going, you and I have this gift. It is amazing. And there are these like long run-on sentences. And I think the danger for us when we read this is it just kind of passes over our heads. It doesn't hit us in the heart. It's, it's like that Thanksgiving meal when like all your family and friends are there and there's this big meal and you're like, oh, I'm eating, eating. Oh, hi everyone, oh, so good to see you. And then after the meal's over, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> like, and you still see food on the table and you're like, I don't, I can't eat, I don't wanna, uh, what? I don't know what to do with myself. Um, this is this big meal for us. This, this, it's just so amazing and um, so we are going to continue to open up this gift today. Um, this is a prayer by Paul uh, for this church community, and it describes God's will, God's heart for us, for all believers. Uh, this Bible passage just has really rich language to it. And what I want you to know today is that in Christ, we get the most bestest gift possible. It is filled with hope, with riches, and with power. It is for today, and it's for tomorrow. And um, God wants us to mature into it. He wants us to grow up into it. So, so far we looked at verses 1 through 14 uh, last week, and Paul prays this awesome prayer saying, uh, Thank you, Father. Thank you that you chose us. And then he says, thank you, Christ, for your role in redeeming us through your blood. And he praises God, the Holy Spirit, for his role in guaranteeing our salvation. We can sit with that for a while. And then now we're in verses 15 to 23. And Paul is turning his attention to the church. Um, he says, I see your love and faith. Oh, that's so encouraging. And he's like, I want you to know more. He says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. I want you to know the wealth of your inheritance in the saints. 
I want you to know the mighty power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul's prayer to the Ephesians is the same thing that you and I need to hear. It's impossible for us to know this, uh, this gift without God, but then um, it's, it's this process as we know him. And once we believe in his spirit, it, it starts working in us and opening our eyes to this gift, Jesus Christ. So uh, this is a gift from the past. Um, you can think of it as uh, before creation. God in his mind had this plan. He's like, I want to give you guys this gift. I want to create you and give you this gift. All the way to creation and then to the cross. If, you wanna a- if someone asks you, you know, when, did it, when did you get saved? You'd say 2,000 years ago when uh, Christ died on the cross. That's that gift in the past. But it's also a gift for us here and now. And I think it can be hard for us to grasp that here and now-ness. And it's also for tomorrow, that day we finally get to be in glory with God. So it's a gift that stretches our imagination. And I welcome you to spend time in prayer going, God, would you just stretch my imagination? Would you just stretch my mind and my heart? And that's what it should do. It should hit us in the heart. It should expand our hearts. Have you ever used the expression, "Ah, this is just so much my heart could burst. Um, I'm just bursting with joy. Um, And maybe you're from the South. That's what they say down there a lot. Um, If God didn't give us new hearts, we just couldn't receive this gift uh, because our hearts just couldn't handle it. And so when we are saved, Uh, and we receive Jesus as our Savior, he gives us a new heart that must expand to receive him. This doesn't happen just once, but continually, and it's a process. Until when? Well, we haven't gotten there yet, but Ephesians 4.13 says, until we reach all uh, unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. And what does that mean to be mature? attaining the whole measure, just all of it. So that means there's more for us to attain. Do you want that? Do you want more? Um, There is more fullness of Christ to have. That means we keep growing until we are made perfect through his life. And finally, on the Lord's return, when he comes, then, then we'll be complete with him. All the fullness, all the measures will be there with us. And even Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, 16, he says, no one puts a piece, oh, Peter picked a pipe of pickled peppers, no one puts a piece of sh- unshrunk cloth on a new garment. If you uh, do your clothes, if you're like super committed to being a hipster, you repair your clothes. And you would know this. For a patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine. And I kind of like craft stuff, so I might try this one day, make wine. Um, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the wineskin bursts and the wine is spilled and new skins are destroyed. So, but new wine is put in fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. So new goes with new, old doesn't work with new. That, that's an easy formula for us. So today is about Jesus' work working in us. What Jesus is about, what Paul is about, 
is they want us to mature and grow up into all God has for us. And so that brings us to our main teaching points today. Um, from our nine verses in uh, 15 to 23, we're going to mainly focus on verses 18 to 20. So you can kind of keep referencing that and, and looking over it as, as I talk. Um, and uh, I'll just read that for us. So Paul is praying for God to open their eyes. We need God to reveal God. We can't, because we're not God, he's God. So we need God to help us see God. And he says uh, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his in glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards all of us who believe? according to the working of his great might. That you may know, one, the hope to which you are called, two, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and three, the immeasurable greatness of his power. That is a lot. So let's try to understand that together. But, you know, as I read this passage, um, and I thought about my own Christian life, I realized that I, I, I can't just uh, break these apart. It's one gift. It's Jesus Christ. And in this gift, um, all together, you receive hope, you receive riches, and you receive power. So I'll try to talk about each one, but just remember, he's highlighting three wonderful parts of being in Christ. So let's start with hope. Hope is not a fluffy hope. Um, the first thing we need to know is Christian hope. This kind of hope is not fluffy, nor is it merely a nice thought. It is not a clever idea. It is hope without a doubt. We use this word a lot in the English language to express a wish or a desire with the possibility that it will not happen. Um, you might have had this conversation recently, or it will happen soon. Hey, are you going home for Christmas to see your family this year? And you say, I hope so. That, that kind of means you're planning to go. You might have gotten a ticket, or you might not have, but there's this idea of, I don't know if work will let me go yet. I don't know if uh, there's gonna be a blizzard that uh, postpones my flight and I'm not gonna make it. That means your plans aren't sure. There is some kind of variable threatening your holiday plans. But here, Paul is saying that Christian hope is concrete. There is no doubt about the future. The hope is real. Jesus Christ has already paid for our sins. And before that, God the Father has called us and chosen us. Um, just like our prayer this morning, before you knit me in my mother's womb, you knew me. You called me. So when the Father says something, it's going to happen. And you can trust the concrete action of Jesus Christ. You can trust his blood that's already been spilt for you. You can trust the character and the calling of God, his election, and that one day it will be completed. That is where you're headed. One day you will be home. That is our hope. Um, I always think of right before we have family dinner, 
the meal's already cooked, it's not gonna burn, it's on the table, the family's there, I know it's going to happen and I can anticipate it. So why is it still hope? Because it is not finished yet. There is a day coming when we will see God face to face. That will be a glorious day. In that day, we will have hope fulfilled. And for day, today, we have a concrete hope now. And we have the Holy Spirit that can help us into that insight. So this is the kind of hope that you feel. This is the hope you can see. This is the hope you can touch. Do you want to be that kind of Christian? Do you want that kind of hope? I think for um, in-house conversation, I think Christians can struggle having hope like this. A, a, a hope without a doubt. And then if you're still figuring out church, if God is new to you, do you want that kind of hope in your life? I think the answer is, yeah. For Christians, I think we can get distracted. We, we can enjoy a little bit of God's hope and then go back to what we were doing. And let me describe it this way. What is giving you hope? If it's not Jesus Christ, if it's not this kind of hope that I'm trying to tell you, what is giving you hope? Or what's, I guess a better question, what's trying to give you hope? Um, maybe today you need to answer that question. I have friends um, that need life experiences to define them, define the meaning of life, and to give them hope. And it's like they need another concert, they need their job opportunities, and they need their travel plans to keep them going. Does, can you relate to that? I, I can relate to that. Um, it's like we have to keep it going or we'll crash and burn in despair. Um, if I don't have that next trip planned to Greece or to Trois-Rivières, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. It's, what is it all for? I'm going I, I, to crash and burn. I can't take my job. Or my job sucks and I need that new job and oh, I got the interview. Oh, I got the job. I need that promotion. This can definitely lead to existential crisis, depression, and anxiety. Those are pretty common words today. Hope is based on, hope based on great experiences in life is a false hope. Avoidance, it leads to avoidance. We're avoiding the problem and can cause things like anxiety and depression. Um, I have this quote from uh, this book called The Noonday Demon uh, by Andrew Solomon, who was a professor, uh, uh, who is a professor of psychology at the Columbia University. And uh, his New York best time seller is uh, this book about depression. And he goes into talking about existential crisis. He says this, in depression, the meaninglessness of every enterprise and every emotion, the meaningless of life itself becomes self-evident. The only feeling left in this loveless state is insignificance. Wow. Uh, I don't want to be a bummer today, but we're going to go through this. Despite the enthusiastic claims of pharmaceutical science, depression cannot be wiped out so long as we are cre creatures of conscious 
Um, we are creatures conscious of our own selves. So he says, as long as we are conscious beings, depression will lurk around us because we are aware of our insignificance and the meaning of our existence and the meaninglessness of, uh, of experience as the only means of hope. And I can understand this, uh, that this feeling when I make all of my day about life experiences as the sum total of what my life is and what it defines me to be. In another popular book by Mark Manson, it's in the, um, in the book called, excuse me, the, the Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Have you, have you seen this book? It's, it's a popular one. Um, he agrees with the situation. He says, yep, that's it. That's the situation. He says, human, or, uh, I'm not quoting him, but I'm summarizing him here. He says, humans are unfortunately aware that life doesn't have meaning beyond life experiences. But he says that um, instead of wrapping yourself up in things to care about, to cope with life, he says we should do the opposite. This is worldly advice. Um, his advice says, consciously make the choice to not care. That's the book. You don't have to read it now. Um, <laughs> then you don't care. At least you feel better. I'm like spark notes right here, guys. Um, the situation is the same, but now at least you feel better about the meaninglessness of life. That's what your friends are going through on a daily basis. So when you don't have real hope, the two choices seem to be not care, like Mark Manson says, because it helps you cope. Or knowingly care, like my friends who need jobs and the concerts and the travel and the nice dinners, to wrap them around in a soft, warm blanket, hoping that they don't become aware of that fear and existential crisis. Oof. That's a lie we don't need to receive in this place. We have hope. The church possesses the only real hope there is. Um, so hopelessness, choice one and two. Don't get me wrong. Um, you can be a Christian and experience existential crisis, depression, and anxiety. I am one of those, and I stand before you today. But I'm growing into my hope, the riches, and the power that's been given to me. Um, and I'm not here to tell you why exactly you have depression and anxiety if you are struggling with that. Um, and this, this book that I quoted, Noonday um, Demon, is really empathetic if you are in a situation of depression and anxiety. But what I'm getting at is when you have false hope, maybe there's a reason why you are feeling depressed and anxious. And part of that's going to be um, dealing with your depression, dealing with that anxiety, getting community around you, but also going, maybe I need to stop repeating the same things I'm repeating. They're not working. They're causing something deeper. It's hope insufficient. It's telling us that our hope is placed in something that is not God. Christ is the only one who can give us a sufficient hope for today and for tomorrow. 
And when I wake up in the morning feeling anxious, I have this hope when I sit down on my couch. Ultimately, my life experiences aren't ultimately defining me. My job, my lack of travel, my inability to go to nice restaurants is not defining me. God is. And Paul will warn the Ephesians of this later in a later chapter. He says, don't abuse the agency you have on hopeless things. Instead, grow into the full knowledge of God. And without hope, we're going to spend our riches and our power in the wrong way. You can see this by any, any kind of rags to riches story of someone who uses their wealth the way they want to. If they don't have hope, what do they spend their money on? Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out hope. Christ sets us free to be full of hope, riches, and power that the world can't give. So let's grow into that knowledge. Let's grow into the hope that God has for us. If we have true hope, we spend our riches in the right way. We don't spend them foolishly. So far, we've talked about hope. But now let's talk about where hope intersects riches. And to be honest, without hope, we have this poverty mindset, and we're just not free to spend wisely or to enjoy it. So riches have already been mentioned um, in verse uh, 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. He talks about, uh, Paul talks about riches, and it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The riches, then, are that God has paid the ultimate price to buy us back from slavery. In this redemption, the freedom price that we can never pay was paid for us. It's just too much for us. We can't pay it. So then, Christ came, paid it all, and not only that, he bought us back to be his sons and daughters. He buys us back to give us an inheritance. Um, who gives an inheritance and who gets an inheritance? Well, parents give it and the sons and daughters receive that inheritance. We are adopted into God's family and we get that inheritance. We inherit eternal life we inherit God's spirit, and um, we get to, um, sorry, uh, and we get to inherit that name that Christ has given us. When I experience the Holy Spirit in my life, when I feel God's love, I get a glimpse and a taste of God's inheritance for me. When I read passages in the Bible that talk about um, God walking with humans in a garden. And when I look at scripture, again, when I look at Revelation and see there is a garden city that God wants to dwell with me, then that is um, tangible revelation of what I can see coming, what God wants for me. But I miss the whole picture if I don't read this verse 18 right. It says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I should say, we miss the whole picture if we don't think about, uh, we miss the picture for now, the, the today now, now time, right here. 
Um, it's, it's like uh, looking at a picture. What does it mean to miss the picture? It's like, uh, I like to go to art museums. Um, uh, does everyone know Claude Monet? I love going to different parts of the world and seeing Monet's or any kind of impressionist art. If you uh, go too close to the painting, what happens, you just see like blotches of color, a purple and then a pink and then a blue, and you don't get it. You're like, I don't, I don't get it. How is this a tree? Or how is this something? And then you take a step back and you get the whole picture. Ah, oh, it's this beautiful sunset over Paris. And you're like, I want to go to Paris now. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. That's getting the whole picture. The riches of the glory, uh, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Well, I don't want to spoil heaven for you, but you are not going to be the only one there. Have you ever thought that? No, there's going to be, all of us are there. It's going to be full of other humans. If we think that the riches of the glorious saints is just us, me in the Bible at Starbucks, <laughs> we've missed the picture of the riches. And I want to try to uh, uh, open this up for us. The riches in the saints. So first of all, what is a saint? The word saint just means holy one. That's part of what you're called. You, you are called a holy one. Holy one, holy one. If you want a label, like if you want to be put in a box, the biggest box there is, you are a saint. Anyone who accepts the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and turns away from their sin and stops living on their own terms and calls Jesus Christ Lord, they are a saint. So when you drive around uh, Montreal, when you see a street sign that says Rue, uh, Rue St. Antoine or uh, Rue St. Mark, it's not just Tony and Mark that are saints, it's you. Um, but we don't really use that word a lot, do we? Um, anyway, uh, th this passage is saying that the, it is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. When I meet uh, with other people in whom the Spirit of God dwells, I am starting to encounter the riches of uh, God's, uh, God's grace on us. Paul will later say, it's like being in the temple of God. God's presence is felt and made known in his temple. And he says, my people are where I dwell. My people is my temple. Not just you. And that might sound weird, so... I have God dwell in me, but does that mean part of God is not in me? And he's like, well, no, together we create where God dwells, or, or we don't create it. God creates it in us. But I won't get this if I don't participate in it. I need to partner with God. I need to participate in his church, in his riches for me. So I think there's a lot of us that we don't quite get this part of church. This is part of my walk. This is a longer story, but I'm speaking for myself here. I think that we have this default assumption that, and it's just the way our culture is, that I can do my Christianity pretty much on my own. Um, we like stories about um, prisoner of war, prisoners of war stories, um, POWs, where they're like stuck in some random prison, left alone. And the thing is, uh, and they kind of like get out and they're finally like, yeah, they endured it all on their own, not just, um, um, 
not only did they do it, they did it on their own. But these people didn't choose to go to, pow uh, uh, to be a prisoner of war. And if you ask them, do you want to do that again? They'd say, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And uh, the Christian stories of enduring hardship are always the same. They say, I didn't feel alone. That's the riches of God in your life, in your circumstances. But my question is, why are we isolating ourselves and acting as if we are captives and prisoners today, isolated from the community of God? You're going, oh, I'm, I'm struggling in my faith, and I'm this prisoner of war, and I have this powerful a stoic relationship with God. I can do it. I just need to keep praying. And it's like, well, maybe there are other people to help you with that. Um, what is church? Church is Christ's body. And on Sunday, we call it a Sunday service, we bodily come together to worship God. The reason that we have somebody get up here like me today and talk to you uh, and explain the scriptures is because we want to rightly worship God. We need each other. We need the body of Christ to co correct us all and to guide us all together into right worship with God. In Christ, in the scriptures, God revealed himself. That was his choice. He decided, I want to give you scripture. I want to give you Jesus Christ. So we obey that. We look at it together. And this is for us here and now. He gives us our spirit, and that enables us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. On our own, we couldn't do that. We need God to understand God. We need God to help us grow. Um, this is what church is. The, the word living is present among us right now. So if I want to benefit from the power of God, I need to understand the hope and the riches of God. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we want the power of God, but we don't want his riches and his hope. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <coughs> let's see. I, let's see where one goes. Oh, yeah. When we just want the power of God, it's kind of like picking and choosing. I think sometimes we can go to church, and I, I'm not verbally abusing you guys. You came to church today. And if you're in the podcast, don't worry. I, I, I love you and care about you too. But um, I think we can have this tendency, and I just want to describe it. Um, we want to experience God's power, but we don't want his riches and hope. What does that look like? It looks like when you pick and choose. It's like we're having the, the friend, like your, your best friend's coming over for a family dinner, and uh, they look at the meal and go, I don't like what you're serving today. I'll go home. And so you're like, so awkwardly like, but we're going to hang out and have pizza. And you're like, I don't like mushrooms. <laughs> so I'm going to go back home. And it's, it's like, well, that, that really wasn't what it was about. It was to enjoy this meal together. Or it's like the person goes, oh, yeah, it's good this week. And they sit down and the rest of you are kind of like, oh, well, it's good to see you. And... Um, and we all kind of talk, uh, we, we share, and, and they're just kind of like, that was good, uh, are you, desserts, desserts later, okay, I'll be back for dessert. And then we kind of go, oh, okay. And then 
we continue to share, and like these funny stories come up. Someone says this embarrassing fart story, and they're like, oh my gosh, that happened to you in public, and we laugh about it. But that guy, that guy missed it. He's, he just came for the food. He's going to come back for dessert. And then someone shares what's going on in their life. And then there's all these memories, and we grow together. And then this guy comes back in for dessert. Oh, that was a good dessert. All right, bye. Are we growing together? Meal after meal, if you did that, you'd see this group of people sitting at the table, enjoying the meal, enjoying each other, having these memories, having these stories, and something new is being built week after week. But what about this guy that's just coming in for dessert? I guess they get a taste. But there's something that's not forming there, is there? And I think that's a poverty mindset. And I think we can all be uh, guilty of that. I'm right here. I'll raise my hand. Um, we can have a poverty mindset when it comes to what this whole Christian life is about. Now, it's true that when uh, in, in Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew, not St. Antoine, um, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says we're uh, two or more are gathered, I will be there. When they're gathered in my name, I will be there. That's church. But before you think, ah, so I don't need church 21. I don't really like their pastors anyway. I'm just going to go with my BFFs to brunch. And we're going to kind of open the word. And that'll be church for me. Well, we haven't gotten to Ephesians chapter 4. And that's going to continue to say that the body of Christ is made up of members, and God has given them gifts and riches in his body, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The list goes on. That's not a complete list. So the church is where its body members all fit together and gather together. There's a fullness there. There we learn grace and mercy together, together not on our own terms. Not on our own terms. If what you hear from me today is, ah, oh, Peter, you just want me to commit to church and show up every day. I showed up this time. Um, well, my answer is yes, I want you to come regularly to church, but not because I want to control you. I won't see you next week. I'll be at NDG, but I'll be enjoying church there. It is where we come to know the risen Jesus Christ. Oh, actually, I'll be at the... Oh, no, I'll, I'll be see you next week. Let's all come together. Let's, let's go upstairs. Um, to know the, uh, the risen Jesus Christ and his mercy. Man, brain fart. Um, his glorious inheritance in the saints. So, um, Emily, would you do the awkward thing I asked you to do? Um, so, I want you to look around the room. In uh, your faith in God... And your love for God should spill over to these actual people. You can look around. You don't have to look at me. And I'm sorry that I took the lights up. You were probably like, I didn't put my makeup on today. I know I'm in the dim lights, so I'll be all right. No. So uh, just look around for a minute. Uh, I'll, I'll keep talking while you just see these people smiling or trying to not look at you. Um, if you have God living in you, does it bubble up? to the surface and give you love for these people here today. Church is not a club. We're not just an interest group that go, I'm churchy. Are you churchy too? Let's be a churchy. 
No, church is a community. Community means there are people here that have dissimilar interests, that are different from you, that you don't get. You just might not understand some of these people. You might like some of them. You might even have favorites. But God might put you in a different city group, and you're like, no, my other buddies in this <laughs> other city group. No. Um, so, but what is happening in your heart with God is happening in their hearts with God. And that's powerful. That's what's binding us together. The Holy Spirit is working in you. The Holy Spirit's working in you. And we're coming together. And you can have some beautiful community. That's what everyone's hungering for. That's Montreal has all these community projects to try to make community. But then there's just like the gardening club. And then there's like the my, my thing, li like the bike repair club. But they're all just clubs. And maybe sometimes they cross over and they get some of that community. And it is so cool. And I think... To, to Montreal's credit, they value something that is super true, super important, and all cities should do that. Um, you can turn the lights off. Thank you. I know that's, don't worry. You, your anxiety level can come back down. Um, but sorry to burst the mood there. Uh, in NDG, we, we don't have, like, sexy lights. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we just, like, have, like, the lights. <laughs> And we have like this weird carpet box. It's like that red carpet. If you've been, if you've been to the 1980s and went to like a church, it has that like red carpet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of nice. I like the the sexy lights sometimes. Um, anyway, this is important. Understanding where God dwells, who His people are, matters to understand the hope, the power, and the riches. You see. All three of these things, hope, power, and riches, are interconnected. You can't have one without the other. Um, and all of them come in a relationship with God. That gives us a life to live with others, not alone. A Christian is never alone. And it might feel like that at times, but it's never true. So, again your experience of feeling lonely is not objectively true. And you can grow into that. That's what Paul's saying here, partially. When you feel lonely, I want you to objectively know and experientially know that you are not alone. You do have hope. You do have riches. You do have power. So on any given Sunday, that church gathering is a mini glimpse and a mini experience of the greater hope we have as Christians. Um, back to uh, my, my museum analogy. It's like one Sunday is getting this beautiful Monet, and you're like, I get it. That is beautiful. And then the next Sunday, you get another completely different painting. And you're like, I get it, that was beautiful. And so we're getting these mini glimpses that make sense, that fit together, and we're like, wow, this is just a little bit of it. But we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse in each other. Um, and uh, a Christian is never alone, and I just want to 
um, circle back to why, and that's because you are not forsaken. In Christ, he forgave you. That's what Paul is saying. In Christ, you've been called. God said, I don't want to forsake you. I'm going to send my son to take care of that. I'm going to put it on me. So in the riches of Christ, he was forsaken. So you will never be alone or forsaken. Do you need to hear that today? Because there might be some other voices, the enemy saying, you are forsaken. That's just not true. And you have the power to rebuke that. So we're not just a community. We're not a club. We're a community. We're not just a community. We're the community of God gathered, empowered. We're the community of God empowered to gather. He said, I want you to gather. That's part of your calling. I've called you out. I've, I've seen the world, and I've called you out. I'm drawing you out. And that's part of why you've, you've come today, was God has called you, and you're like, I, you know, I can kind of explain it. I can tell you my testimony, but I can't quite tell you how it is that I am here today. I know it's not all me. God is calling you out. And then part of why we do Sunday worship service is to obey that call. God has told us to gather and to worship him. And it's still okay, it's still authentic that we pre-plan it. Not everything needs to be spontaneous. We planned for it to be on Sunday, so it would also work with your week. Or, better yet, we start with Sunday. Apparently, Sunday's the first day of the week, not Monday. Um, a lot of us don't know that. We start with worship for our week, and then we go into our week to be with others that need God's hope. So we are the people of God empowered to gather. Let's go on to power. I think most of us have questions about the power of God. Um, we can get really hung up on what the power of God is. What does Paul mean in verse 19 by saying he wants the church to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? What does that mean? Uh, does this mean I get superpowers? When I become a Christian, is the Holy Spirit something like Dragon Ball Z? Does anyone know Dragon Ball Z? Do we have some fans in here? Yeah, like what I, I love when they're like, ah, he's powerful. I need to also be more powerful than Like, is that what God's power is? Is that what it's for? So what is power? If we misunderstand what it means to be in Christ, we find uh, we find everything we need, sorry, if we misunderstand that in Christ, we find everything we need, and in his people is where we are present, and uh, he is ministering here presently, uh, his riches, then if we misunderstand that, we misunderstand what power is and what it's for. So what is power without hope? Um, I think a good example is Marvel movies, it seems like this endless cycle of movies. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I like them. I, I, I watch them. But um, I also go, man, it just keeps going, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it seems like this endless cycle of new villains that keep overpowering 
other superheroes, and then in the end, the superpower, the superhero kind of saves the day. Uh, then the universe keeps going around, churning the next situation and villain and superhero, and it's an endless cycle. Um, that is what power is, but no hope. There is power, but it ultimately has no purpose and no meaning. However, Jesus and this world are not like that. That's not objectively true. Jesus has won and currently rules. And all his people will be gathered. That's what we're hearing today. That's the truth. And you can simplify the timeline to three points. One, the cross. Two, the resurrection. And then three, put that wire back in there. Um, and then three, Jesus' story, uh, sorry, three, his return. So cross, resurrection, his return. In the meantime, he, and we're kind of between points two and points three. We're right here. Um, in the meantime, his, his, uh, he works his same power in us to demonstrate the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And to point to us to point number three, Jesus' story is the story. It's the grand narrative. And that's kind of nice. My story doesn't need to be the story. <laughs> I think a lot of us have this pressure. We're like, oh, I need to create the story. You know, I look on TikTok or I watch some vlog of like people um, doing something amazing. They're like, they have a story. They have something. But uh, I don't need to be the end all be all of stories. I enter into a story that started before me and will continue and I will stay in that story. There's a bigger story, and that brings me comfort. So, um, when the sun entered humanity, all power of the all the power of God entered this world, and in that way, He identified with us. He incarnated as a human to identify us, um, and. Before we were estranged with God, our sin estranged us, but God in that incarnation restored us. That's the relational power of God. So the first thing is we have relational power. We're related to God. He broke us free. God's power is the ability to forgive us and to buy us back from sin's, break, uh, sin's grip to break the curse that was going on and to bring us back to him. And now, Christ has done all this. He's returning us to the Father and he brings us with him. That is power. So he's, he's broken sin's grip, he's broken death, he's gathered you, and he's bringing you to the Father in victory. He's showering you with gifts. Um, I mentioned Paris. If I said, hey, I just took a trip to Paris, you would ask me this question, did you see the Eiffel Tower? In Ephesus, the, the book we're reading the, that, that Paul wrote, a letter to a church, in their context, if I said, hey, I just went to Ephesus, you would ask me, did you see the statue of Artemis? 
it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It apparently was quite impressive. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it didn't make it. Ultimately, it didn't have any hope. Um, so in Ephesus, they, were, they had one of the seven wonders of the world. They had a huge economy and trade. There was a lot of money going around, and there was a lot of witchcraft going around. Um, I, I used to live in a country for five years where they had temples and many different gods and a lot of worship going on. And if, if you needed a relationship change, you would go to this temple and make some kind of barter or agreement with a spiritual power to then give you something. Um, in Ephesus, there was a lot of things going on. And um, this has to relate to power because everyone was looking for power to do something they couldn't do on their own. Uh, I need a husband. I'm struggling with infertility. Well, there's a potion for that. Well, there's many potions for that. And there's this scroll, or you could buy this scroll. And it's this exchange of like, I just want to get what I need. And that's it. That's kind of witchcraft. That's kind of idolatry at its finest. Um, is is this kind of world? So all uh, what what church came out of that when God called them when they heard the testimony of Jesus Christ and became Christians? That was their context. They're like, I'm used to scrolls. I'm used to love potions to try to get that girl I like. Um, but God's power is so much greater. And so he was like, none of that, none of that. Our God says, no one before me but me. And throw away all that trash. It has no power. So if we look at what power is, all you need is the name of Jesus. Um, this is really refreshing if you're from a country where there is witchcraft because it's like, you need to put this and spin it three times and then do this little thing and you have to wait for the moon to be this thing. There's all these rules and technicalities. Um, and we're kind of headed back there. Uh, if you've been around Montreal and you have these friends who are like, oh, I tried this weird thing and it worked. Witchcraft does work. Um, a lot of our friends are starting to dabble in it and it does things. It does things. Don't believe the secular materialist world that says spirituality, spiritual forces are not real. They are real, and they're doing things. Um, and, but we don't need that. We have something greater. We have the name of Jesus. So the name of Jesus is actually like, uh, it's much more than like uh, just just his name. It, it comes with authority. It's like uh, if if Jesus is the king and he gave me this ring and it said like Jesus on it, I could then be his emissary because I carried his ring. And I'd be like, um, I, I go to a city and say, I want this city to build straight streets. I'm tired of these curvy streets with small street signs. And I say, in the, in the name of Jesus, go and do that. That's the authority I would bring with me because it was bestowed upon me. It was delegated power. So we have power delegated to us. That is our authority, the name of Jesus. So when we experience any kind of weird stuff in Montreal, you can say, in the name of Jesus, I don't need that. Go away. And it works. And maybe you've had experiences of that. Or maybe in your own life, there is bondage. You're like, 
why am I a prisoner of war when I'm a Christian? I feel like I'm held captive. I'm in prison. Why am I acting like this? Well, it's because you've given an enemy some authority. But what Paul is reminding us of is that you can take that back. All you have to say is, and it's not a formula, it's, it's praying to your father. And the easy words are, Jesus, I need your help. And in the name of Jesus, set me free from this thing. Whatever is holding you captive, whatever is making you feel like a prisoner, you just say, God, forgive me for the way I, I let my authority go. You gave me all authority. You gave me all the riches. You gave me all the hope. And I gave it to this thing. In the name of Jesus, I cut ties with that and I claim it back. That is what the power of Jesus is. I'm going off script, and uh, we're just, yeah, we're going to come back here. So that is the power for now. You have power for freedom, but again, it's freedom with hope. So if we had no hope, we would just use that power to, um, to go to another concert, to take our thing. We would just use it hopelessly, but we use it with hope. And we use it in the church. We use it in the riches of the church. And we come together to also receive that power from one another. When I'm struggling, Nate can pray for me and say, Peter, in the name of Jesus, I, I, I just pray this blessing over you that you would not be anxious this week, that you would be encouraged and you would come out of your shell. Um, those are things that we can benefit from each other because God's given you, 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 you the riches to give to each other, each other, each other. And that's why we gather together um, for now. And it also reminds us of the hope for the future. Um, so may you be blessed today. And uh, I want you to continue to grow in the riches and in the power of your inheritance and grow in your authority. It all comes back to knowing Christ better. Paul says, I want you to know Christ better. And uh, make sure you spend time with him this week. Make sure you focus on these next songs as we worship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the blood of the lamb that washes us clean. Would you please help us to know you better? Lord, I want to grow into what you have for me. I confess that I have had a poverty mindset. I am not poor. I've been believing a lie. And in the name of Jesus, I cut all ties with that lie. That is not true about me. You called me holy, and you called me to a hope. Lord, I want to know what your riches are. I want to experience your power. Lord, would you help me partner with you? I want to participate in the riches of your power, the riches of your grace. Would you show me that mystery that you are dwelling among us as a temple today? Would you help me to see the other person next to me as someone in whom the Spirit of God dwells and is working in them? Would you help me 
see that you are working in my life, would you put brothers and sisters around me that would speak into me and remind me of that truth? Holy Spirit, come and dwell among us. May you be praised today. Amen.